Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Stephanie Nugebauer, and today I brought a guest on who is very dear to me. Some of you may already know her. Katie Shurman is a pastor's wife, a musician, author of several books, and a beloved friend of many. Words mean a lot to Katie, as they do really to all of us. But as a writer, she's incredibly disciplined in choosing her words so that she communicates in the truest, clearest way. Katie has devoted a whole book even to help the church use true, clear words when talking about the grief and suffering of barrenness. And through her own story, she's learned to reconsider the terms she uses when talking about reproduction and fertility so that her language best communicates the reality that children are gifts to be received from the Lord. Here to point us to truer words, Katie. Katie, you're one of the LCMS's go-to gals for talking about infertility and barrenness. How do you handle talking so publicly about something so personal to you? Well, I do not always handle it well. <laughs> uh, depending on my hormone cycle, which often accompanies barrenness as well, <laughs> I sometimes can communicate quite poorly on the air about barrenness. I, which, so Steph, I'd like to thank you for giving me opportunity today to give one more go at some of these words and putting them together. I hope for the benefit of everybody who is listening. I, I suppose in some ways I am a bit comfortable in my role now as being a barren woman in the church. Uh, my entire marriage, that's my only experience. And at different seasons of my life, at different decades, I've had different challenges with that role. Uh, in the early years of my marriage, there's the freshness of the wound as it is inflicted. You feel like you're bleeding from an open wound in front of people. You can't go to church without feeling like everybody's looking at you wondering, oh, is she pregnant yet? Is she pregnant yet? <laughs> um, you feel like you can't go to a family reunion without actually people physically asking you, are you pregnant yet? Or they put your, their hand on your belly. And so you feel like you're bleeding because since it's so painful, the reality that you have, that your love with your husband has not produced this gift, uh, this promise even. Uh, and by promise, I don't mean that we are promised to be parents. I mean that that in God's word, he has made his intent known. When he speaks the blessing of children over marriage, we, we know with sureness that children are good and are given from God. And so when your marriage does not bear that good fruit, it's a public wound. <laughs> And uh, in those early years, it's hard not to be hyper-emotional. Uh, the grief is fresh. The wound is fresh. Uh, maybe in the next decade of your marriage, uh, there, there's a bit of scarring that, happening, that happens around the wound. It's not so much open bleeding, but uh, it's, it's still visible. It's still public. It's still something that uh, either people want to talk to you about, uh, maybe because they're compassionate and they're kind and they, they want to know about your life. They want to know about all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Or sometimes it's because, you know, people are curious and curiosity killed the friendship. So sometimes they just ask because they want questions answered. Or sometimes they're asking because they see you as a project to fix or they will get into some of this language today. They might uh, 
be applying some control language to the situation that might be inappropriate. And so since the scar is public, it's still a public conversation. I think I'm more now in the season of life of barrenness where I've had some practice talking about it. So some of these words come more easily to me more freely. Um, I don't bear quite the immediate public shame that I felt in my 20s because nobody, I think the expectations have been lowered. People look at me and they can see my wrinkles. They can see my receding hairline. They can see my saggy skin and they go, I don't really expect her to get pregnant. So mm. <laughs> I suppose some of my ease is that the attention is not so much on womb watching as it is just like, well, what's she going to say this time? How's she going to react? Um, and so it's not so much open bleeding during this season of life, but barrenness is a cross. Is it a, it is a cross put on my shoulders by the Lord. And he is the one to put it there and he is the one who will lift it according to his will. And I still bear that cross. And so even though I don't openly bleed all the time anymore, um, it is a part of my everyday, this cross bearing. And there are certain events certain relationships uh, that feels like it can just rip that scar right back open. Um, and again, not because my life is not beautiful, not because I don't have good things in my life and not because God is not good to me. It's just that um, barrenness is never a good thing. And my marriage is barren. Do you know how Michael feels about you talking about this publicly uh, and so so willingly. How kind of you to ask about him. <laughs> I, I think he too has had some seasons of maybe different reactions to that. He's always been tremendously supportive. Um, I, I suspect part of that support is the recognition that the word of God is efficacious, that the word of God is objective and the word of God is true and it is a living word that is outside of us. And so I suspect his support comes from the fact that he knows that whenever I say these true things aloud, I'm actually <laughs> comforting hmm. not only those who are listening to me, but, but myself. And so I think he has only ever encouraged me to speak true things, to put my trust in true things, um, to spend my time thinking on and meditating on and communicating true things uh, where he probably, you know, can have some concerns sometimes is depending on the season of my hormone cycle or of my life in general, I don't always handle things well. And he, he can see the stress or the sadness. Um, but at the same time, he also is I think had the privilege to see me grow through all of that, you know, yes, I, I do get more public attention in my barrenness, which means I get a lot more comfort maybe than the average person, but I also get a lot more maybe criticism than the average person. I like to think of it this way. My life is just like anybody else's. I just maybe know a bit, but my, the spectrum of how many people I know is probably bigger. So everything's just magnified, but in that uh, magnifying uh, is a great school <laughs> for being taught, uh, again, how to interact with this language of, you know, what is life? Uh, what is God's role in life? Well, he's creator. <laughs> um, 
what are children to us? Um, all of these conversations are opportunities for me to dwell on the truth. Um, and whether I get positive or negative feedback, um, it's a great school. Uh, it's that refining fire. Hmm. You know, the truth sets us free. And when we abide in the truth, even under persecution, we are blessed. Hmm. Thank you. And thank you for being willing to talk about this uh, here with me today. Um, so Katie, you emphasize the importance of using the right terms when talking about children, fertility, barrenness. You refer to this as gift language. What do you mean by that? What are some examples? I remember about six years into our marriage, I think I started to feel the rumblings of the deep earthquake fear of, oh no, Lord, not us. Don't, please do not. Do, do not do this to us. <laughs> and that reaction taught me something. Um, I suppose I've been an observant person for most of my life. I'm a youngest child in my family. And so we're in a posture of, of observing our siblings always. Um, and I, I suppose I was observing myself a little bit and realizing, oh, that's interesting. I'm praying to God right away, um, which is a, maybe a bizarre thought, but... <laughs> And I remember feeling some relief. Okay, good. That's good, right? Lord, it's good that I'm praying to you. And so when I had a lot of dear people in my life who had great concern over our barrenness, a lot of fear for us, um, great hopes for us. And as our marriage year after year was failing their hope, um, I remember feeling pressure from them to produce a baby and I remember feeling like when they would talk to me about it, they would not point me to pray to the Lord. And that confused me because my initial reaction was to pray to him. And so I went to talk to a pastor about it. I said, pastor, help me. Am I sinning? Am I, am I just like, am I complacent in life that, uh, that I see that our marriage has not produced children and I, and I call out to the Lord for that? Like, is that wrong? Like, should I instead be going to my doctor more? Or like, you know, because I have a lot of people in my life who kind of are poking me, you know, telling me that I need to get more active or, you know, look into this problem, eat this way, exercise this way, have sex this way, you know, yeah. all, all this different kind of advice. And I felt like it kept pointing me more inward to look to the work of my own hands. And of course, that was leading me to despair. And the pastor said the truth to me. <laughs> he said, well, is it God's will that you be barren? And I was like, oh, weep, 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 weep. <laughs> he said, here's the thing. We, you know, I don't know what God's will is for you tomorrow in regards to having children, but today has he given you children? And the answer to that is much weeping <laughs> and saying no. And he said, okay. He said, then I do not think it is sinful for you to be content with the life God has given you. He said, I would call that faith. And so this pastor encouraged me from the beginning to be in a posture of, of listening to people and listening to how they talked about children to me and talked about my barrenness to me. And what was missing in all of that is I, I had not really asked questions about what does God say about all of this. So that pastor also put me, encouraged me to be in a position of looking to what does God say about your marriage? What does God say about being parents? What does God say about children? And that is going to help you know if you're sinning or not by 
not eating this way or, you know, you know, all these, all these different expectations people were putting on my shoulders, these behavioral expectations that they believed would result in my being pregnant. And so then began a journey of looking into the word of God, uh, sitting at the feet of pastors (laughs) and seminary professors, um, and having long conversations about barrenness. And that's, I think, what I'm still doing today. It's just one big, long conversation. And I'm continually learning. And I will say at this point, as I'm continually learning, I'm I'm also resting even more surely in the truth that what God says is true mm-hmm. <laughs> about the gift of life. And so that what happened in that posture of actually wanting there to be truth, I think the Lord helped me be in a position to receive it. And here's what I learned, Steph. I learned something very simple. I learned, as we said earlier, you know, God created man and woman. And he spoke the blessing of children over the marriage of Adam and Eve. And so we know that in God's eyes, fruitfulness of the womb is a good thing in marriage. He wants to give that gift. He says, be fruitful and multiply to Adam and Eve. And I I don't think he would say that to them without them actually being able to fulfill that to a certain degree. Of course, where we get tripped up is that, you know, sin entered into the story and entered into the world. It's entered into our very flesh. And so we, we do have brokenness in our bodies. You know, we do have diseases. We do have body parts that are missing. We do have body parts that don't work. And in this sinful world, there is brokenness of that good order. But that does not then make God's good order bad. In fact, with Noah and his family too, God speaks that blessing over marriage again. And as a barren woman, I I read that in the Bible and I'm fascinated by it because I want it so badly. Oh Lord, this is obviously a good thing and it's a blessing you want to give. I'm ready. Give it to me, please. Give it to me. And so then I start encountering in God's word, you know, different women who are barren who the the word speaks about is that that God closes their wombs. And as a barren woman, I encounter that and go, that's terrifying. Lord, you close wombs. You have closed my womb, Lord. Why? (laughs) And so again, I have to, I have to look again at the truth, which is all, I don't know if you can see a pattern stuff, but all of these things are pointing me to the Lord for help always. The word points me to God for the blessing and points me to God when I'm not blessed. And um, I hope you can already see a theme of goodness, (laughs) even in the suffering here. And so also then I'm, you know, I learned that uh, in, in the Psalms, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. I mean, the language is so obvious and simple Mm -hmm. and painful for me. Because if children are a heritage from the Lord, why, why does he not give me a heritage? And so here is the conundrum. If children are indeed a gift from God, then I must confront that. I must go through that text. I I must take my barren years and walk right through that truth 
And it's, it's extremely painful stuff because then again, it brings me back to that question of Lord, if you can open my womb, why are you not? Hmm. Which then, you know, in some ways we could say, so this gift language, this language that children are a gift is painful to the barren. Katie, are you masochistic? <laughs> Do you, um, you just want to dwell in your pain all day? No, 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 no. Cause I, <laughs> that's not the full truth. The full truth is also that children are a gift from the Lord. And so in God's giving of his gifts, we have the assurance that he's giving something good. And at the same time, when he does not give the gifts, we have the assurance from God's word that he works it for our good. So by using this gift language, by acknowledging the truth from God's word that children are a gift, I am in a position to be comforted by the Lord. Um, it takes my eyes away from the false comfort of achieving some good work by making a child, which, by the way, that, that doesn't ultimately comfort. Um, by acknowledging that children are a gift from God and, and acknowledging that God has not given me that gift, I'm in a position to, to call out to him, he who promises always to hear my prayers and to answer them. He who promises to be near the brokenhearted and to save the crushed in spirit. This truth drives me to the true source of comfort. And when I'm driven to that true source of comfort, and when that true, true source of comfort doesn't actually give me the gift of a child, I am challenged, I am chastened, I am disciplined to then ask, well, then what, what is good? What is good in my life, Lord? I guess this is good. Not that barrenness is good, but this this must be good. You're going to work it for good in some way. I once heard uh, Pastor Will Whedon say this on his program, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, that, that really the question of why is this happening, Lord, that's really the wrong question for a Christian to ask. The faithful question to ask, and by faithful, I mean the one that is grounded in the truth in God's word, the one that acknowledges God's word to be true and we let it instruct us and shape our lives. The real question the Christian asks is, oh, Lord, this happened. How are you going to work it for my good? <laughs> because we have a promise from God that he will. And so this gift language, it chastens me because it, I must acknowledge that God is not giving me this gift. And I, I want to ask why. And in reading the word, I'm reshaped to then be in a posture of asking, okay, Lord, you promised to work this for my good. And then Steph, I'm comforted because he does not disappoint me in that regard. I can see so many ways he has worked barrenness for good in my life, in my husband's life, in our family's lives. And I pray in all of these listeners' lives. I won't expound on all of those things because honestly, that I, there's not time. It's not a blessing. There's not time to tell you all the good things. But I will <laughs> say this, this one thing. I think one of the best things that has come from my barrenness is this tearing of my eyes from my navel and to the cross. Because I have needed that habit and that practice in so many other areas of my life. And barrenness has given me great opportunity to practice it. 
And so I do think in some ways, sometimes there are certain hard things in life I've been able to pass through a little bit more easily because of this discipline and because of this posture. For example, in my barrenness, I've had to ask, Lord, this hurts so much. It hurts me. It hurts my husband. Why? Why would you, why would we suffer this way? You tell me that you don't punish me for my sins because, you know, Lord Jesus, you know, you were punished in my place. And that, that would just be unnecessary if, if like I still needed to bear the punishment of my sins. So I know you're not punishing me, Lord. Why am I suffering? And again, in this posture of looking to the Lord and calling to the Lord, I'm in a position to be comforted by his truth. And here's, here's, I think one of the greatest things that's come from the suffering is, is this comfort. There, we do have some answers in scripture of why we suffer. I'll give a few if that's okay, Steph. Please. And I am not a biblical scholar, so <laughs> I look forward to learning from more people. Uh, if I'm missing out on anything, please share it with me. <laughs> I love to be comforted. In Luke chapter 13, it's the story of some people around Jesus. They're, they're, they're kind of telling him, sharing with him the fact that there were Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with sacrifices. And this is a horrible, defiling thing. And I think they're bringing it up to Jesus. You want to know what, what he's going to say about it. And here's what our Lord says. Jesus says to these people, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? His answer just slays me. No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Hmm. And as a barren woman, I read this and I go, oh, you know what? Jesus didn't actually say why they suffered. He just tells me what my response should be to it. When I witness other people suffering, he says, repent, Katie. This can happen to anybody. Repent. And I know then suffering exists in the world for one one explanation. This is not, you know, I'm not trying to define the hidden will of God here. I'm more just saying we know from Jesus that one of the reasons suffering exists is to point all of us to repentance of our sin and faith in the one who saves us from our sin. And you know what? When I hear that, I got to tell you, I'm comforted in my barrenness. I immediately go, well, it's not pointless. <laughs> Maybe somebody repents of their sin when they look at my barren arms. <laughs> um, another example is in John chapter nine, Jesus encounters a man who is born blind and the disciples ask him, you know, so who sinned? You know, they're assuming the blindness is a result of somebody's sin. Was it the blind man's sin? Was his parents sin? And Jesus answers, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then we have the beautiful story of Jesus restoring this man's sight. And I am not going to say that my barrenness exists so that, you know, I'm not going to put myself in the story and say, I am the blind man, but I am comforted to know that there are people who suffer terrible physical maladies or, you know, just, just tough things in this life. And Jesus, you know, Jesus says this happens sometimes that, you know, that God's good works might be displayed. 
And we know that's true. We see that in the Gospels over and over again. And in my barrenness stuff, I am comforted. I feel like, well, this is not wasted time. (laughs) Even if my womb stays closed the whole time, um, I can't even imagine, you know, what kind of works he might display. And so it comforts me. It helps me rest in my suffering and realize this is not pointless. But the thing, um, and forgive me, I'll probably cry when I say this. Um, The thing that comforts me tremendously is Hebrews. Um, In Hebrews chapter 12, if I just could read this. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? I have spoken to you a bit about ways I have been disciplined in my barrenness. And I suppose the old Adam in me wants to look at that discipline and despise it, think I'm being punished or, you know, misinterpret it in some way, mischaracterize it, or maybe mischaracterize the one who's disciplining me. You know, God must hate me or he must be disappointed with me or he must not love me. But again, being driven to God's word, I know that's not true. Because if suffering is a measure of God's affection, There is someone who has suffered more than any of us in this life, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And what did the father say of him? Hmm. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And I have been washed (laughs) by that son's righteousness and baptism. And so I know that I'm beloved. In Jesus, I know that I am beloved and righteous and that God is well pleased with me too in Jesus. And so... I know not to interpret this discipline as anything other than the love of a father for his beloved child. And so it, it disciplines me like a good parent disciplines their child. Hmm. And again, it, it comforts me. I don't think I would be so comforted if my eyes weren't looking to the word for answers to all of this. I think I would actually be more frenetically trying to achieve something with my, with my barren body. Hmm. So if you had to replace the word discipline with a different word, what do you think that would be for people listening who may be confused with what that discipline is? Can you kind of expound on that? I sometimes think of the word chasten. I should preface, and I'm so glad you pointed this out, Steph, because uh, discipline can have a really negative connotation, especially for people who come from abusive homes. Let's, um, in, in sin, parents maybe have um, taken what can be a good gift from God and have abused it and turned it to, to harm their children. Let's first characterize what discipline means in this case. Discipline uh, is a word, we can see the same root of discipline as disciple, right? One who is taught. So when I'm being disciplined by the Lord, I'm being taught by him what is good, what is true. And I'm also being taught by him what is false, Hmm. what is a false idol. Um, And in this case, In my barrenness, you can imagine, I'm very tempted to turn children into an idol, right? To 
to uh, for my whole life in being around getting this gift of a child. And in my barrenness, the Lord disciplines me. He teaches me that that is actually not my God. <laughs> my salvation is not going to come through that. I, I also like the word chastened because uh, I, I am blessed. My parents, I think, did a very nice job of disciplining me in a way that helped me um, see right from wrong, uh, help curb my behavior, but then also help me to see uh, the goodness of the Lord. And um, so discipline is not a negative word for me. Neither is the word chastened because there have been times when I have needed to be chastened in my pride. Hmm. <laughs> there are times when I have needed to be chastened uh, in my ambitions and barrenness has chastened my pride. Hmm. Again, it's a, it's a public wound. You know, I've been married, you know, it will be 19 years this summer, God willing. So for 19 years, my one flesh union with my husband has not resulted in a child. That's a very public thing. You can't hide it. And so it does chasten my pride. Uh, and um, not that there's anything to be ashamed of in bearing a cross. It's not that. It's more just that in my sin, I want to turn the gift of children into my prize or into, you know, the good work of my hands. I think it's it's less about, um, it's more about my nature, <laughs> my nature to be prideful and to turn good gifts from God into the work of my own hands. It, it's honestly, it's really more... I need to be chastened to be reminded that, uh, well, let me put it this way, Steph. I, it just seems like anything I touch, I want to turn into an idol. And so how I thank God that he loves me enough to discipline me. Um, Psalm 84. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And I know I'm blessed. I know I'm blessed because amidst this barrenness, God has granted me faith, which trusts in him. And so when I'm tempted to think I'm not blessed in this life, I try to remember that's not true. That's not true. And um, blessed, I think in Deuteronomy, I think Moses is speaking, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think he's speaking to his people when he says, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. God is my heavenly father. He provides for me, not only of body, but also of, of soul. And this discipline is part of his caring for my soul. Hmm. So what would you say to women who are carrying the same cross currently in their lives, who at the moment can't see the good that... God is bringing out of it, maybe maybe are suffering so much that they can't see any good in their life at all. Most likely they haven't also written books and, and been able to speak about it where someone could point to, oh, this is the good that's been brought out of Katie's barrenness. She's been able to help others. But what would you say to those women who, who feel very isolated and, and like I said, who right now don't see the goodness of God in it? I would say, call upon the name of the Lord because he hears your prayers. And he is never going to take away from you the blessing, the privilege of calling out to him. And that's the life of the Christian is calling out to the Lord. And it is okay to lament. Lamentation is part of the Christian life. 
Look at the example of King David in the Psalms. He cries out to the Lord. How long, O Lord, how long? You know, my pillow is wet with my tears, Lord. Lift me out of the muck and the mire. And shape your life after King David. Don't end the prayer there. The Christian life is one of lamentation, but it is one also of praise. And that praise is speaking to God back to him, the promises he has given you. And hold him accountable to those promises. But my my dear sister and brother in Christ, having a child is not a promise given to you by God. Having children is a blessing, blessing spoken over marriage, but there is no promise in God's word that you will be made a parent of your own children in your own home. I do think we can take from scripture the truth that he will make you parents. We None of us escapes that in the church. When you stand up at a baptism and say, amen, at any child's baptism, you are a spiritual mother and father to that child. You don't get out of the hard work of parenting. He will put people in your life to care for. Maybe they'll be young children. Maybe you'll be foster parents. Maybe God will bless you with children through the gift of adoption, or maybe it will get more creative than that. Maybe all your children are at church on Sunday, and you're just going to have to work a little bit differently to spend time with them than just in your home. Maybe your children are older than you. Maybe your children are, are widows or widowers who not only whose spouses have died, but their own parents have died. They have no mother or father to listen to them anymore. Maybe you will care for them. What is the answer to that? Who do I serve? Well, you look around where you are today. God has placed you in a specific geographic area and he's placed you in a specific home. Look around your home. Who's there? If there's no spouse, okay, look a little bit further out. Where do you work? Where do you go to church? The hard truth is that sometimes the people that are in our lives are not so shiny and sparkly, and we don't really want to serve them. (laughs) But guess what? You're in their lives to serve them. You're in their lives to care for them. That's who you take care of. And God has blessed you with time and opportunity to care for maybe some of the ones that, that are easy to forget. Um, I can't answer for each individual person, you know, who you specifically, you know, God has appointed you to serve. I think that's something that you're going to be able to answer with the help of your pastor and with your family. But I can tell you this, you are a parent in the church. And it is never going to be a happy thing if he doesn't bless you with children in your home. And you need to acknowledge that. You need to let that be true. Barrenness is not a good thing, but our Lord promises to work it for your good and for the good of your neighbor. And so if you can approach each new day with the posture of, Lord, show me how you're going to work this for good. But also pray to him, take this cup from me, Lord. Take it from me. It is too much for me to drink. It is too much for me to bear. I cannot handle it. Tell him. And I promise you, the Lord hears your prayers and he answers them. And perhaps he will give you the gift of a child of your own or not. I don't know, but I do know that he's going to give you what is good for you. But keep praying to him. Keep going to church. Keep going to the Holy Supper and taking up his body and blood. Be strengthened. Be refreshed. Be saved. And as best you can, 
Be honest to God about what you're thinking and feeling. Tell him, just like David. But as you pray your question of why, Lord, why me? Lord, why did you do this to me? Please include in your prayers, Lord, because you promised to love me. How do you love me, Lord? Lord, you promised to save me from my sin. I know this is true. Help me to remember this. Help me to think on this. Lord, you promised me that in my baptism, you adopted me into your family. Give me faith which trusts that you love me. Give me faith that this to know that this discipline is you teaching me good things in life. Lord, I know that you promised to be near the brokenhearted and to save the Christian spirit. So be with me now. Save me now. Lord, you promise never to leave me, never to forsake me. And Lord, you even tell me where to go to find you, and that's in church, in the reading of your word, in the preaching of your word, in the Holy Supper, in baptism, in the confession and absolution of our sins. Lord, stay with me always and give me the strength to go to the places where I know you are. Lord, you promise not only to hear my prayers, but to answer them. Hear me, O Lord. Answer me, O Lord. Lord, you promise to give me everything I need to support this body in life. You have not given me a child. Help me to see what is good. Help me to see your goodness in my life. And Lord, you promise to work all things for good. Help me see that in this life. The Christian laments, but the Christian prays back to God his promises. And the Christian stays in a posture of receiving the answers to those prayers. And guess what? Those answers are good gifts. We just don't always know what those gifts are going to be. And uh, my friend Kristen Gregory once taught me so much by a simple little phrase. Kristen, please forgive me if I'm sharing too much, but um, Kristen has had to endure the death of her daughter. And all that comes with seeing and knowing death of someone you love more than yourself. Talk about a situation of discipline, of being taught what is true, because you, you, you can't ignore the fact that your child is dead. You must go straight through it. You must pray right through it. You, your life keeps going on when your child does not. That is a reality that must be faced. And Kristen taught me in her grief and in her suffering, she said, you know, I prayed and prayed for my child's life and I I prayed for so many different things. And in this situation, she says she has been disciplined and she has learned that she doesn't even know what to ask for. That we think we know what is good for us, but we don't. And this is not confessing that the death of a child is good for her. What she's confessing is that in moving on in life, she has been humbled to the point of realizing, wow, Lord, you do give good gifts and you gave the good gift to my daughter of eternal life. Here I'm asking for her, you know, physical earthly life. And here you're giving her even so much more. I'm so limited in my knowledge of what is needed that I don't even always know what to ask for. And so there's something so profoundly restful in recognizing that we are not God and that God is omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, and he knows what is best. And we can rest in his will. Steph, may I read something to you? Yes. That has to do with this gift language. Please. And I know we have not gone very much into the opposite of that, 
the world uses what I would call control language when they talk about children. For example, when people talk about children, they often say, it's time to make a baby, right? Mm. And just by that language alone, we're communicating that children are something to be made by us. Even our term reproduction, you know, does not really confess the truth that I cannot reproduce on my own. My husband and I can't reproduce. We should be able to, by definition's sake. That's because it's procreation. We must acknowledge that God gives the gift of life through our one flesh union. It's not just us being one flesh that makes the child. Or the, the term family planning. We are all very familiar with that. I am. We tried very hard to plan our family. Guess what? Hmm. It has not worked out. <laughs> and I think when those who have planned their family get the family they've planned for, I think they also are disciplined in other ways by the Lord and learn. <laughs> hmm. None of us escapes this, this wonderful, loving teaching from our Lord. But this control language that we use in the world, and honestly, also in the church, it shapes our conversations in such a way that makes us talk about children as a commodity, as something to be made, to be bought, to be manufactured, even to be earned or deserved. And that is faulty language. It does not confess God's role in the giving of the gift of children, and it does not confess wisely our own role in parenting children, and it, it doesn't properly confess what children are, who they are to God and to us. And so the language alone sus sets us up to falsely communicate about what children are, and therefore to not be able to offer truth and comfort when there's brokenness. Mm. And so this gift language, while it can be painful because it acknowledges when we have not been given a gift, it also truly confesses the source of the gift and puts us again in a position or in a posture to receive good things from the Lord, whatever those good things may be. And along those lines, Steph, if I may, I'd like to read to you the sainted Reverend Bo Geertz, a Swedish pastor. He is one of my favorite authors. And I, I've never written an original word by him because I don't read his language. <laughs> Um, but I'm very thankful that we have people who translate his sermons and his fiction works into English. And one such book published by Concordia Publishing House is called To Live with Christ, Daily Devotions by Bo Geertz. Any of you who are listening, I highly recommend you have this book in your home. And there was recently, of course, you know, we're in Lent right now, but pre-Lent, just happened. And on the day, uh, the devotion for the Wednesday after Sexagesima, I came across this wonderful use of gift language that Pastor Bo Geertz used. If I may read just a portion of it to you. Quote, what we can and should do is receive the word. God's word is the means of grace. The word creates something in our hearts guilt for our sins, and belief in the Savior. It creates a living faith that works through love. The Christian life is completely dependent on this. The word can't be received just once and for all. It isn't merely a matter of knowledge and opinion. 
It's a creative power that perpetually renews our life. We need it as much as we need our daily bread. We have to use God's word. That means we should hear it, read it, remember it, and apply it. We do not earn points with God by using his word. Instead, by using it, our hearts and lives are opened to the grace of God that can never be earned. It's a way we receive God's gifts. And so ultimately, this, this gift language, that I, as I like to call it, is actually a pious practice of turning to the word for truth. And in that truth, we are set free to see God's gracious giving of good gifts all around us, primarily through that life-giving word. Hmm. And so my dear barren sisters in Christ, or any of you, my dear mothers and fathers out there who, who are so tired, or whose children have left the faith, or whose children have died, or whose husbands are not caring for them in a way that is good and holy. All of you who struggle against disease, whatever suffering and cross you're enduring, whatever cross is, is turning you to prayer to the Lord, know that it is this word of God that gives life, the true life that, that lasts forever. And in that true word, our eyes are open to the goodness of the Lord to us, even amidst these difficult, horrible things. Suddenly we can see that, that he is gracious and good always. And there's something so comforting in knowing that his goodness is not just a fair weather goodness. It's a goodness at all times, in all storms of life. And we are Peter sinking down into the waves and he just, Jesus reaches right down and he just pulls us right out with his word. And so I encourage you, turn to the word and have your eyes open to all the good gifts he gives you all around you, especially the forgiveness of your sins and life everlasting. Katie, thank you so much for being on today and for pointing us to what is true. Thank you, Steph, for taking on a podcast that gives all of us in the church a chance to continue this conversation of gift language and to talk with each other in our homes, to put you, you know, in our AirPods as we're exercising. Thank you for being a voice for this gift language. Mm -hmm. And thank you for, for being such a dear friend to me. <laughs> Could you say a friend for life? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Katie. A friend for eternal life. <laughs> Absolutely. Even better. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to click the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life.